Welcome to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Wargold, the men's basketball and football beat writer, the Rivals.com network. Remember last week on the, sh- on the show when I said that Wisconsin had a big 36 hours ahead of itself? Well, those two days turned out to be real dark days in Madison with the Badgers basketball team playing exceptionally poor and losing on a buzzer beater to in-state rival Marquette and the UW football team continuing to struggle on offense, dropping an ugly 14-6 home game to number 10 Indiana. However, this is a new week and we have a packed show for you today, most of which is positive. Uh, That positivity comes from our guests, two-time Super Bowl champion safety and former UW captain Chris Maragos will be joining me coming up to talk about the growth of UW's defense over the last 10 months, the rivalry with Iowa, what he remembers from his three years being involved with Wisconsin-Iowa, how his relationship with defensive coordinator Jim Leonard went from a mentorship to a friendship and much more. Uh, Always uh, anxious to catch up with my friend here coming up here later in the show. I have some recruiting news to get to with Wisconsin football picking up commitment number 21, and we'll play an interview with safety Scott Nelson, who is a big piece of a defense that is number one nationally in total defense, rush defense, and scoring defense. Badgers and the 19th-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes at Kinnick Stadium tomorrow afternoon to wrap up the regular season. But I want to start with basketball and the whirlwind Greg Gard and his staff went through to find an opponent for this last week. Even before last week's loss at Marquette, the Badgers knew that this past Wednesday's scheduled game against number 25 Louisville was in trouble when the Cardinals were forced to cancel a game and put their program on pause due to a positive COVID test. And UW had already been looking to add a game on December 12th uh, before the non-conference schedule wrapped up and had looked at playing number 12 Tennessee tomorrow. Uh, For those that remember, Wisconsin-Tennessee played Last December in Knoxville, that was a big win for Wisconsin at the time, and they were supposed to finish their home-and-home uh, home agreement this year. But with COVID and teams uh, staying a little bit more regionalized for the most part, uh, that game was postponed, and Wisconsin had looked to try to get them back on the schedule at a moment's notice. But there was uncertainty with the Volunteers returning to competition after their first five games were canceled due to their own COVID problems. Uh, The pursuit was serious from Wisconsin's end, considering the Badgers were trying to shuffle Big Ten games at the end of this month to make it work. Uh, Ultimately, it just did not happen. Uh, Looking at other shuffling possibilities, guards said Wisconsin explored the notion of moving up its game against Northern Iowa from December 16th to this weekend because the Panthers' upcoming opponent uh, paused activities on December 1st. That was Richmond, but Richmond was given the green light last Saturday to start practicing again. So this was a whole big mess. Uh, Wisconsin looked at playing some smaller level teams. They even had the opportunity to go play Indianapolis, uh, go to Indianapolis to play a neutral site game against Connecticut. That would have been on Tuesday, but that was a good move not to do that because the Badgers uh, would have had to reschedule that game anyways because Connecticut went on pause earlier this week. So uh, enter Rhode Island, which isn't exactly the short bus ride away that Greg Gard kind of Uh, implied when he said that they had a bunch of schools in their hip pocket, but Rhode Island reached out to Wisconsin last weekend, and a tentative agreement was struck if the Louisville game couldn't be played, and it turned out to be a really quality opponent for Wisconsin, and it was a quality win that righted a lot of the wrongs the Badgers experienced uh, against the Golden Eagles. Rhode Island's offense entered last Wednesday's game, averaging 79.2 points per game, with the Rams scoring 84 or more points in three of the previous five. But the Rams have yet to play a team that was rated in the top 60 of Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. And Wisconsin ranked six and ended up playing one of the better halves defensively all season. Rhode Island in the 73-62 Wisconsin victory shot just 25.9% from the floor in the first half, went 0 for 8 from three-point range and committed 11 turnovers in 35 possessions. Wisconsin did not shoot particularly well in the first half, really all game long, just 33.3% in the first half. But those 11 miscues gave them a boost with 15 points off turnovers. The Badgers defense on Fats Russell, Rhode Island senior point guard, who was an all-conference selection last year and was averaging 17.6 points per game through the first five games, uh, was tremendous. He Russell joins a long list of high-scoring players that have been shut down by the Badgers. Uh, thanks to, in large part to senior Demetric Trice, who got the assignment, Russell took plenty of shots, plenty of tough shots, ran into plenty of help defense, and appeared to get frustrated 
as the game went on. The end line speaks to Trice's and UW's overall success against him. 3 for 14, 8 points, 0 for 4 from 3-point range, 1 assist, and 3 turnovers. uh, Russell also is pretty good at uh, creating turnovers with his steals, uh, just managed 1 against Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin was coming off a game where it allowed Marquette to go 20 for 28 from the line, but like the defense, the results were better early and kind of got sloppy as the game progressed. Rhode Island attempted only two free throws and committed only seven fouls in the first half. A lot of whistles in the second half and uh, some breakdowns defensively for Wisconsin too. Rhode Island went 62.5% from the floor in the second half. They got the ball inside a lot more, 24 points around the rim. Uh, That kind of allowed the lead that was as many as 22 points to start shrinking because the Badgers, primarily Micah Potter and Nate Reavers, struggled to convert in the low post. Nate Reavers just two for seven on two-point shots in this game. The Badgers were also whistled for 15 fouls uh, that led to 25 free throws, 48 combined fouls in this game. Uh, The lead shrunk to as little as eight points late, but really went no lower because Wisconsin was able to make their free throws down the stretch. Uh, and Brad Davison, too, was the big component to that. Brad Davison, season high, 23 points. He was a perfect 6-for-6 six six from the line each half. He went 12-for-12, 12 12, the first Badger to make all his free throws with at least 12 attempts since Nigel Hayes went 12-for-12 12 12 against Michigan State in 2015. Not the player I would have predicted uh, to have reached that mark. Davison was 0-for-4 against Marquette, but he hit his first three three-pointers against the Rams and attacked the lane and was able to finish at the rim. Good aggressiveness. He admitted after the game he was coming up to hunt his shot. He wanted to be more aggressive after uh, feeling he kind of let himself and his team down offensively against Marquette. Those plays helped Wisconsin go to an early 10-0 spurt in the first five minutes of the game. After trailing 2-0, Wisconsin led the final 38 minutes and nine seconds. Davison scored 13, excuse me, 17 of UW's 33 points in the first half. He outscored Rhode Island by himself in the first half. A couple other notes on that victory for Wisconsin. The Badgers have now won 19 consecutive home games against non-conference opponents, a streak that began uh, almost three years ago, December 13th of 2017. Wisconsin held Rhode Island to a season-low 62 points. The Badgers entered the game ranked second in the in the conference, allowing 58.5 points per game. Helps when you hold a team to just 3-for-13 for three-point range. Just nine turnovers for Wisconsin, despite the number of, of fouls called dating back to last season. The Badgers, 11 turnovers or fewer in 23 consecutive games. Part of the reason why Wisconsin has been winning so much here. Uh, season high, 26 made free throws on 36 attempts. The Badgers are 3-0 on the season when attempting at least 20 free throws. And the Rams went 15-for-25 from the line. That's significant because the Rams enter the game averaging 304 free throw attempts per game that was third in the NCAA. So quality win for Wisconsin, and now the Badgers wait to see who they will play next. Uh, They hope it's going to be Louisville, no earlier than Sunday, but uh, obviously that's still up in the air. We asked Greggard about this on Wednesday. He said probably within the next 48 hours they'll know something more concrete. That would mean sometime today we will, in, in theory, hear something. Wisconsin is not scheduled to play again until the 16th. That's their final non-conference game against Northern Iowa. There's a hope that the Louisville game is rescheduled at some point, but Louisville just came back uh, from being on pause earlier this week. They were going to go through workouts, and their first team practice, scheduled team practice, was set to be tomorrow. Uh, don't think then then we're going to see Wisconsin-Louisville on Sunday. But you never know, should have an announcement later today. And Wisconsin's going to get prepared for their Big Ten opener on December uh, 21st against Nebraska at the Kohl's Center. That'll be a 6 p.m. tip-off. Wisconsin, 13th in the country now. And you know, we'll see where they are. Big Ten's going to be good this year. Michigan State has looked good, as always. Illinois is playing some good basketball. They went down and they, they hand, handed Duke in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, Duke's worst non-conference home loss under Mike Krzyzewski. And Iowa, um, Luke Garza, uh, and them looked impressive against North Carolina, too. So Big Ten is going to be tough, and Wisconsin should be in the mix with that senior lineup and their defense as well. You're listening to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. Transitioning now to football and what has suddenly become a frustrating season for Paul Christ and company. We were so excited to see Wisconsin football back on the field, had that big win against Illinois, and then it's kind of been 
uh, hair pulling ever since with COVID and now with two back-to-back losses. Uh, that 14-6 loss to Indiana is uh, probably the, the final home game of the season after only playing two home games. Uh, occurred because the Badgers just couldn't finish drives. Uh, UW went two for three in the red zone but settled for field goals. Play calling was a little conservative inside the 20 on those field goal drives. The Badgers made too many mistakes with two more turnovers. That's seven in the last two games. And not enough playmakers to overcome the absence of Danny Davis and no Kendrick Pryor in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Wisconsin's moving the ball. Uh, they outgained Indiana. They held the ball for you know, close to 40 minutes in the game. I think 38 or so they finished at. And uh, again, it's it's just execution on things. It's just little things that Wisconsin is not doing particularly well. Uh, Wisconsin has shakeup on the offensive line when Kay and Lyles went down to put Tanner Bordellini in. He will most likely start against Iowa uh, tomorrow because Cormac Sampson is still coming back from practice and Joe Ruff said he'll be available. Doesn't sound like that means he's going to start. And Wisconsin's going to deal without Danny Davis again for a third straight game, and we don't have an update on Kendrick Pryor either, so that means your wide receivers are going to be Jack Dunn, A.J. Abbott, Chimray D.K., uh, Am Krumholtz did not play last week. That's a, a veteran receiver for Wisconsin, a senior walk-on that's played a lot. They're not going to have him either, so really kind of a handcuffed offense here and Wisconsin is going to have to find ways to kind of generate some production against a really good Iowa defense this Iowa defense uh, has been stingy uh, they have played 21 straight games without surrendering 25 points that's the longest streak in the nation among power five teams so uh, it, it's it thinks to be a low scoring game because Wisconsin's defense has been phenomenal here this season uh, and the issues on offense the last couple weeks have overshadowed Wisconsin's defense. We, the Badgers held Indiana to just 87 rushing yards. That's the third consecutive game UW has held its opponent below 100 yards rushing. Uh, Indiana also had 130 yards passing and 217 total yards. And yet it still was not good enough to win. Uh, junior inside linebacker Jack Sanborn, nine tackles, including a tackle for loss. Uh, he also recorded his first forced fumble of the season which was huge in the third quarter. Jack Tuttle, uh, the Indiana quarterback, went for a sneak on a short yard situation that Sambo was able to poke the ball, give the ball back to Wisconsin. That led to a field goal. Uh, sophomore inside linebacker Leo Chanel has been fantastic next to Sambo in this whole season. Uh, Bolt had uh, nine tackles. Chanel, that's a career high. All solo tackles. Uh, Colin Wilder, the safety, career high six tackles. Freshman, uh, outside linebacker Nick Herbig had recovered Sanborn's fumble in the third quarter. He had two tackles. He's played some really good football uh, over the last couple of games. And then Scott Nelson, our, our, one of our guests this week, uh, guest by using his audio from this past week's press conference, first career sack for him. He brought down Tuttle uh, for a one-yard loss as well. And I boil all this down, Wisconsin's defense has held opponents to just an average of 4.6 plays per drive. That's the second best, uh, that's the best mark of any FBS team this season pro football focus. Clemson uh, ranks second. The FBS average this season for plays per possession allowed is 5.9. Now, and like I said, uh, this is going to be a test tomorrow for Wisconsin, uh, especially against Iowa's offense. Iowa has won its last five games. It's outscored its opponents 186 to 76 on this stretch. Uh, that's an averaging 37.2 points per game. Uh, the Hawkeyes, 186 points scored over the last five games. That represents their best five-game stretch since the first five games of 2002, and that's when they're playing Patsies in the non-conference portion. So this is a, an Iowa team that has played with a lot of confidence. Spencer Petras, their quarterback, 59.5% completion percentage on the swing streak, 175.4 yards per game. That doesn't seem like a lot, but six touchdowns to two interceptions. So he's taking care of the ball. Um, Akai Sargent ranks fifth in the Big Ten with 6.1 yards per carry, and he's third in the conference with seven rushing touchdowns, while the other tailback, Tyler Goodson, he leads the Hawkeyes and ranks third in the Big Ten with 656 rushing yards. So it's a good one-two punch. It's a good Iowa team. It's a very good Iowa team, um, especially when you throw in Iowa's front being big and physical. Uh, this will, you know, th- this does not look like a favorable matchup for Wisconsin offensively against their defense. That's how they've been playing. That's going to put a lot of pressure on this Wisconsin defense. But, you know, we talked to Scott Nelson, Wisconsin safety, earlier this week about 
how the Badgers have been playing defensively and kind of asked him if they enjoy uh, having to almost play perfect to help Wisconsin be in position to win with the struggles of the offense as of late. We, we, we want that pressure on us. We want, uh, we want, we want to be able to be the, the, the defense that everybody points to and says, like, they're, they're playing, they're playing well. And it comes with the scheme that Coach Leonard gives us and, and the rest of the coaching staff and the assignments. Um, and then just executing. I think we, we've played well in the past couple of weeks, but we've definitely, I mean, myself definitely can make more plays, can put ourselves in, in positions to make more plays. And, and then it just comes to executing and just making those plays. Don't be, don't be afraid to make a play in the big moment, I think, is the biggest thing. So margin of error whatever we, we want that pressure we put that pressure on ourselves no matter what happens so it's kind of a standard that we set on ourselves since i got here um with all those guys in 2017 so um we don't really look at it too different but just kind of holding ourselves to a high standard scott you got in on the quarterback a couple times on saturday i was curious like do you feel like that's kind of a, a product of the scheme you guys run obviously sending some defensive backs and moving around and then what sort of your mindset when you're blitzing I would imagine you obviously like it's not like you're going to bull rush an offensive lineman or something like that so how do you sort of attack that yeah um definitely the scheme uh kind of depending on how the the offense that week's block stuff um if they keep a lot of max protection seven man protection we do need to add or else they'll just have all day to throw so um we worked a lot with that on coach Leonard throughout the summer and kind of on and off whenever we hate, whenever we were going to have a season in fall camp. But um, kind of understanding is, is are the running backs guys that are going to cut? Are they just going to take you on? Um, if you get on the lineman, where do you have to win? What, what gap do you have to win? You have help inside, you have help outside, stuff like that. So kind of all pre-snap. And then like these guys, Indiana at least, they weren't, they weren't much. Um, their, their running backs didn't cut block as much, but they did against us. So I don't know if it was something they saw on film or something like that. Um, but it's just kind of being ready to adjust, um, trusting your technique, um, being aware that they haven't showed it, but they might. Um, and just kind of always being ready. Don't put yourself in a bad position. And then just, I mean, you see the guys up front, just, just efforts to the ball, kind of seeing that in the back end after the game and stuff like that, especially against Northwestern. They're just pursuit to the ball is just incredible. So, um, Whenever we get the chance to get in there, we want to keep that same energy and don't let it fall off at all just because we're bringing a DB. So. Yeah, I know you didn't play last year in the game, but you played in the 2018 contest. And I know every team each year is different, but how would you describe as someone that's played on, in this rivalry just what it means to win the line of scrimmage? I know you're a defensive back, but what does it mean to win that line of scrimmage, uh, especially with against an Iowa team right now that in three of its last five games has rushed for over 200 yards? Yeah, it's huge. Um, I think the game's... Any game is one up front. Um, if we can, if we can control line of scrimmage, offense, defense, I think we put ourselves in a great position to win. We just got to make plays from there. But their offensive line is is their whole program is built similar to ours, where they want to make it physical. They want to make it a, a, a run first type of game, and so do we. So we know it's kind of strength versus strength colliding, and just kind of who's going to flinch first kind of thing. So we just want to put ourselves in the best position to where. Our, our D line and anytime our linebackers or secondary can help with that line of scrimmage presence, we can execute that because we do know how pivotal that is to, to stop the run and, and get them into situations where they're not comfortable. And then I know they want to do the same to, to our offense and stuff like that. So very familiar schemes to, for both teams. So it's just kind of about execution. Scott, you kind of just touched on this, and Leo described Iowa as tough, physical. Are these games against Iowa the most physical games that, you know, you play? I would, I would say it's definitely probably the most consistent one. Sometimes, as, as a defensive back at least, some games you'll end up making 10 tackles and sometimes you'll have one, stuff like that. So uh, it may be more physical up front and – we just may not be in that situation in the game plan or in the scheme or something like that. So uh, it's definitely um, where a game where DBs and, and guys on the outside have to step up and make tackles and make plays. So you know it's going to be physical. You know you're going to have to to make big tackles and, and take on blocks and stuff like that, send it back. Special teams, same thing. So um, definitely is, just like we said, both both programs pride themselves on I'm making it a physical game and trying to trying to dominate the other opponent and stuff like that. So it'll be it'll be fun. Um, 
really looking forward to the challenge and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully we can make some plays and, and come up with the victory. Yeah, Scott, you, you mentioned real briefly, you said that everybody can make more plays, and you said including yourself. In what areas do you either want to contribute more or maybe it's if there's some mistakes you're seeing you're making, eliminate those? Uh, sometimes I think personally I, I try and do too much. Majority of the time I see what I need to see, um, and I either overthink something or try and try and do too much and kind of allowing the defense to make plays and not forcing myself to make a play I think is the big thing. Anytime you get a chance, make the play that comes to you and, and just try and execute the, the scheme and the assignment that, that the defense puts you in because the way that they, the way that Coach Leonard and the, and the defensive staff assign and, and call the defense, everybody, is, everybody will have their chance to make a play. Um, so not trying to look for that play, but just trusting that it'll come, trusting that um, you'll get your chance to make a play and not trying to force it or, or do too much with it. And then whenever you get a chance to get your hand on the ball or, or finish on a tackle or punch at a ball and try and get a fumble out, stuff like that, just trying to just trying to make game-changing plays where it helps the, the whole team, the offense, defense, and, and even on special teams, stuff like that. That was the media's conversation with safety Scott Nelson. If Wisconsin keeps up this defensive pace, the Badgers will hold opponents under 300 yards per game for the fifth time in the last seven years and under 100 rushing yards for the fifth time in the last six years. When my guests played for the Badgers from 2007 to 09, the philosophy was more bend but don't break. But the 2009 defense, in which Chris Marigos helped captain, showed the program's potential with 305.7 yards allowed per game and 88.2 rushing yards allowed. That's, I think, the second best mark in the history of the program. Now, instead of those numbers being kind of one of a kind with a veteran defense, those those kind of numbers have become the standard for Wisconsin football under Jim Leonard and this very, very talented 3-4 defense that was created in part by Dave Aranda uh, back in 2013. My guest this week has won two, count them, two Super Bowl championships. He is a former walk-on who decided to go to Michigan, uh, a directional school in Michigan, to play football. Then he wised up, came to Wisconsin, switched to safety, became a special teamer in the NFL, and led the Eagles and the Seahawks to Super Bowl wins. Not Russell Wilson, not anyone else. It was all Chris Maragos. He <laughs> is our guest this week. Chris, where, where is your Super Bowl hardware? Is it on, on permanently on your fingers, or is it in some vault somewhere at an undisclosed location uh i usually keep it at a bank benjamin man it's uh it's usually locked away at, at a bank man i don't get to see him all that much <laughs> you have to though just when you look back at your career and like i said you go from a walk-on at western as a wide receiver transfer to wisconsin you learn the safety spot you then get thrust into a starting role at safety you become a team captain there you don't get drafted you become a special teamer at seattle and you enjoy a fantastic career there, win a Super Bowl, and then you get a big contract with Philly, and then you win another Super Bowl there. I mean, I know that injuries kind of ended your career prematurely, but we were talking before we, we you came on, you, you had pocket aces for quite some time with how things kind of fell in your in your lap with your NFL career and your professional and your college career. Oh, totally, man. I mean, it's it, it truly was such a spectacular ride, and I'm so grateful for all the people and coaches and players and, and people like yourself, you know, that I've met along the way. And, I mean, the experiences that I've had and just the, uh, the unorthodox route that it was to really get to that, that point. You know, when you, when you look back on it, think about it, and you think about, man, if this would have happened right here, this whole thing would have never happened. Or, boy, I tell you, if this, uh, if this situation or if this coach or this person or this whatever, you know, you know, fill in the blank, so many things would be so drastically different. So, you know, I'm just so grateful, man. The Lord's been so good to me, and I'm just so grateful for so many great people along the way that really helped me, you know, get to those points. And, and you know, you talk about the Super Bowls and, you know, playing in the NFL and, and you know, having a career like that. Uh, but it truly is a result of so many people pouring so much into me and believing into me and encouraging me, uh, you know, even in those difficult moments when you'd want to quit or, you know, you were unsure or you lose confidence or, you know, all the things and those emotions that you feel. So, you know, to have have those experiences, to have, uh, you know, those times to look back on, 
not only were they special then, but, you know, there are things to, uh, and lessons to be learned, you know, for me moving forward too with my life and, and, you know, to continue to, to push through and grow. So, man, it, it was so fun, man. And, and what a, what a special, special ride it was. And especially playing for the batters, man, that was probably the greatest times of my life, man. It really truly was. You also have a pretty good podcast that I that I love listening to. I'm on my way to work. The Mission of Truth podcast. We're gonna get into that in a little bit, but I want to ask you about about Wisconsin. Um, when when you were there um, playing in the four three with, with under Brett, you guys were you guys came a really good defense in 2009. Your last year there, 2008 was kind of a transition year. Um, things were kind of going off the rails a little bit for a variety of reasons, but 2009. I think defensively, the team really started to hit a stride, and it kind of had a bend but don't break philosophy, and it, it worked. It worked well for Wisconsin. Now it's a we're just going to break you from start to finish type defense. How has how has Wisconsin's defense kind of the philosophy changed? In your opinion, in the last ten years. Now I know that the position, the the formation switch from four three to three four has a lot to do with it, because Wisconsin is able to recruit some of those stud linebackers better than maybe a stud defensive tackle like your buddy Bo Allen. But how do you think that philosophy has been pushed from bend to don't break to just be straight out top ten, top fifteen, pretty much year in and year out with this group? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we had some great units at Wisconsin and. And, I mean, what they're doing now, especially Jim, uh, Coach Leonard there, uh, you know, just doing a phenomenal job with those guys. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, like you kind of touched on, the personnel that you can recruit. You know, Wisconsin, you know, you're recruiting big kids, you know, up front there on the D-line for, you know, 3-4. You know, you're recruiting different types of bodies. And, and really you're recruiting, you know, linebackers, you know, that are, you know, kind of tweeners. You're, you're, you know, there's a little bit different uh, body style and skill set that you need. That, quite frankly, fits well with, you know, the mold and you know, really the areas that Wisconsin recruits. And you know, I think it gives you a lot of flexibilities in play calling, blitzing, uh, coverages. Uh, gives you a lot of unique matchups uh, that you can do. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, guys are uh, able to fly around and just play fast. And I think that's the best part about about that is, you know, guys are able to you know, understand their responsibilities, you know, be, being able to disguise and maneuver within it, but ultimately just playing fast and playing relentless. And, and that's Badger football. And you got guys who line up across from another person and say, it's me versus you, and who's going to last all the way throughout the fourth quarter. And that's, that's really staple Badger football is, I'm going to outlast you, I'm going to outwork you, I'm going to out-train you, I'm going to outsmart you, and I'm going to out-perform you know, perform you in every aspect of the game as long as I can. And, and that's why uh, you know, Wisconsin has had so much success, and, and that's why you know, they've done so well even you know, as of late, too. You, you and Jim Laird crossed paths during the offseason quite a bit, right? Because Jim used to come back to Wisconsin to train. I know he spent a lot of time uh, with the DBs, or at least some time. Did your past cross with him very much? And what was your impression of Jim? Did you kind of, he always was, in my opinion, when I talked to him before he came to Wisconsin, he was always very cerebral. And you have to be, to be uh, that height and be and play in the league that long for that many teams and be successful. He always kind of had the makings of someone who was going to be a really good coach at some level. I'm curious, from a player perspective, your opinion of him when you, when you were able to kind of pick his brain and ran across him. Oh, totally, yeah. I, I can still remember the first time that I saw Jim Letter, man. I was, like, starstruck, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, and the guy's a legend. Uh, you know, I had just transferred from Western Michigan, and, and I spent the first year as a wide receiver. I had to sit out because of transfer rules. And that spring, you know, I was approached by Coach Bielema and those guys to switch to defense, and I did. And Jim was just finishing up. I think he was in... Buffalo or Baltimore, I think, uh, that he was at right before he was leaving for the Jets. And uh, he was, like, in his fourth season in the NFL. I was probably going into my junior year. And I remember him walking through our locker room, and be, and I remember being like, dude, that's Jim Leonard. And I was, like, <laughs> freaking out. You know, I was, like, so cool. And uh, at that time, I was trying to learn the safety position. And he was around, and... And he would do drills after practice or, you know, when we weren't on the field. And, you know, I would get done with meetings and I'd stay around a little bit longer extra. And he'd be kind of, 
around and he'd be watching film and doing things like that. And I thought, man, you know what? You know, there's a tremendous resource here. You know, he was a walk-on. I was currently a walk-on. And I thought, you know what? You know, we're both undersized, pale-skinned guys. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know what? We got a lot of similarities. Maybe he might be able to show me some things with his body that might work well with mine or show me his mind that might be able to help me, uh, you know, get to, uh, you know, where I need to go. And so, you know, I really just approached him and said, hey, look, I don't know if you're working out or if you're watching film, but any time that you are, if you would be willing, I would, you know, love to just stick by your hip and, you know, kind of hang out. And he said, okay, you know, he kind of, you know, first few times I saw him, he didn't really say anything. And I, you know, I kind of thought he'd just kind of, you know, leave it at that. And, you know, one day he texted me and said, hey, I'm going to be watching film at this time if you want to come through. So, you know, I was done with classes and all my responsibilities. So, boom, I'm up there watching film. He's watching his off-season film in the NFL. And I remember the, maybe the first time he was kind of just watching and didn't really say a whole lot to me. And I was just trying to just figure out what he was watching. And then, you know, he said, hey, you know, I'm going to, you know, do some work on the field. You know, you, you want to do some, some stuff together. Okay, so we started doing some DB drills. And then we'd go watch film. And then, you know, he, I think he kind of saw that I was willing to be persistent and I would actually show up. So then... You know, he actually invested the time in me then, so then he started pulling up my film, and he started showing me stuff I could do better, and then he would show me his and tell me his thought process, and then, you know, when he would watch his film, he'd be talking through scenarios, and I was just really able to sponge up a lot of stuff from him, and, uh, you know, he kind of was like a mentor to me, and, you know, when I went on to the NFL, we, our relationship kind of went from mentorship to kind of friendship. And, you know, I would go work his camps uh, in, the, in the summertime, and he would come work mine. And, you know, we'd, we'd you know, kind of do that kind of stuff. And his wife, uh, Katie, uh, and my wife, Sarah, they became friends. And we have kids that are similar ages. And, you know, it just, just kind of just worked out that way. And, you know, just a – I mean, I owe a lot to Jim. I mean, he's just a tremendous guy and just a, a super, super knowledgeable person. I mean, all the Badger fans out there obviously know him as a player and a coach, but – from a guy who really knows him on the inside out, he's just a really generous, gracious person. Um, and he's just very, like you said, cerebral, but he's just, he's so methodical in his approach. And he's got such a strong, quiet confidence about him. Like he's not screaming and yelling and freaking out. Like he carries like big weight, um, you know, by the person that he is. And, you know, he just tells you what he expects, how to execute it. He doesn't complicate it. And he just demands it to be done the right way, and guys fall in line and do it. And and uh, man, they, it's just done such a such a great job there, and, and excited for not only what he's doing now, but his future as well too. I think this could be, and with all due respect to to your group and Oni, I think that this is maybe the best defensive backs that Wisconsin's had collectively in a long time. I mean, even without Rashard Wild Goose, who is is left to go pro, you have Caesar Williams, who really I think over the last ten games is playing at an exceptionally high level. Fayon Hicks playing the the bumps as a true freshman to where he is now. He's become very successful. I think a lot of teams don't even try passing at, at his direction. And then right. at the year-old position, safety, I think Eric Burrell has got that, that swagger that's going to help him make it at the NFL level. Scott Nelson, I think, is playing really well coming off ACL. And then Colin Wilder, the transfer from Houston, has been a huge lift for them. Um, and I think a lot of that, too, comes from Jim having played the position for so long, and like you said, he's willing to teach guys who want to be taught. Yep, absolutely. And he instills a mindset, you know. Hey, as a defensive back, like, you got to have a confidence and a swagger. you got to know where to line up and what to do, and then let your mind just be confident after that point and just play. Because as a DB, if you got too much going through your mind and your head and your eyes are seeing too much, you're not going to play well. And so... You know, here's here's the call. Here's what I expect. Now go play and be confident. And that's what works so well with these guys is, you know, hey, I know exactly how to execute this play call. I know exactly what's expected of me from my responsibility. Okay, now the hard part's over. Now I can just be free and let my swagger and my confidence take over. And that's what you see with those guys. It's It's not... Oh, do I know what I'm doing? Do I not know what I'm doing? Am I in the right spot? Oh, that, all that's over with. All those guys are, are taught so well. They're coached so well. And so, 
because of that, those guys are able to allow their personalities to show and allow their abilities and their confidence to take over at that point within the scheme and their responsibilities. And you see guys playing faster uh, than their opponents. And that's when you have success. And then that just fuels. It, it fuels the corners are now competing with the safeties. The safeties are competing with, with the corners. And it's almost like you're competing with your teammates in a healthy competition that's, you know, a, you know, a friendly competition. But you're not even worried about the opponents at those points because you're just, you're just playing. Who can make the next one? All right, who's going to make the next big play? You know, who can lift the team? Who can spark it? You know, all those kinds of things. And that's when greatness happens and, and good things happen. I want to, again, we're talking with two-time Super Bowl champion, former Badger Chris Maragos here on the Badger Blitz podcast. And Chris, I want to preface this question with some facts for you. Um, Wisconsin leads all Power 5 teams and ranks number two nationally in points allowed, 12.3 per game. They're number one in the nation in rush defense, just 72.3 yards per game. They lead the nation in total defense. They're giving up just 229.3 yards per game, and they're giving up just 4.3 yards per play. This is a very, very good defense. I know the sample size is smaller than some of the other teams and other conferences because of they've had some canceled games, but still, the numbers are what they are. And yet Wisconsin is just 2-2 two and two because the last two games – the offense has just scored 13 points and one touchdown. Here's my question. Eric Burrell was asked a couple times about things on the offense, and he said that, hey, I play defense, I focus on the defense, the offense is the offense, and so on and so forth. You've been on a lot of teams. How often, how many players have that same type of philosophy, whether in college or the pros, that when things are maybe going great on defense and you guys are playing really well, is it disheartening at all when the offense isn't carrying their weight or the offense isn't living up to those same expectations? Or is it really just, hey, let's just focus on what we can control and let's just be a good, you know, we win as a team, we lose as a team? Oh, man. Well, here's, here's what I'll say. It is extremely hard to just handle your own responsibility and all the checks and adjustments and all the different things that you've got to do within a game or within a season. So each player has so much to worry about on their own. They literally don't have enough to think about on the other side. But at the same time, I mean, uh, you know, of course you're going to understand what the other side of the ball is doing. But the best part about what Coach Chris and Coach Rudolph and Coach Leonard and all the coaches there, what they're doing is they've built such a good culture where everybody has to just stay in their lane and be accountable for what they need to be accountable for. And that's the best part about the program is that regardless of what's happened right now, what's happened in the past, or what's going to happen in the future, everybody has to pull their weight and do what they need to do. And you can't think about, you know, this offense or defense or special teams or whatever it is, who's carrying their weight, who is and who's doing well, who isn't. There's so much for each person to do on their own and each unit to do on their own uh, just to stay and keep their head above float that they can't worry, uh, quite frankly, about anybody else. And at the end of the day, that's not the way that this culture and this program has been built. And that's all the way back to Coach Alvarez. I mean, this is a, a, the closest thing that you will ever find to uh, a true family in, in college sports, professional sports. I mean, the Wisconsin program through and through uh, has a lot of depth to it. And uh, the coaching staff there and everybody, and, you know, everybody, he's right, though, man. Everybody's doing their job. And they're not worried about other people because at the end of the day, they got enough to worry about themselves. And, you know, that's not the type of culture that they have either as well, too. So, you know, it's uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes one one side of the ball is playing better than the other side of the ball. That's that's football, you know. I mean, there'll be times when the offense is playing better than defense and the defense is playing better than the offense or wide receivers are playing better than the DBs or, you know, whatever it might be. But that's the best part about, you know, a football team is that it's a, it's a it's a team sport. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, everybody's going to kind of pick up each other and, and carry the load for each other. So, Was that the same philosophy in the NFL where there's a little bit more ego and, and individualism at that league, that there was still that same kind of philosophy, or did that change a little bit where there was maybe a little bit more um, finger-pointing in NFL locker rooms that you were a part of? No, I wouldn't say finger-pointing. Uh, you know, I really wasn't ever a part of a team that finger-pointed, which... That's true. You were you were part of some pretty good teams. It help, it helps when yeah. you have a coach in Pete Carroll who came from the college ranks himself. 
That's right. You know, that definitely helps. I would definitely say that there's definitely more individualism in the NFL. Absolutely. And largely in part because the NFL is a business. And, you know, there's individual players and their contracts and, and how this affects that and the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely more individualism. But I didn't see point finger pointing. Um, you know, again, I was, I was always a part of, fortunately, you know, successful teams that were always above 500 or competing in the playoffs or for championships. And so, you know, we had great cultures and, and, and great locker rooms with great locker room guys in them. And that kind of stuff made the difference. And that's really what separates teams is having a good culture where guys are accountable to themselves and to each other uh, and don't point fingers. They just go out there and they just work and execute regardless of the circumstances or what's happening around them. So it's, um, you know, it's definitely unique, but, um, but yeah, I'd definitely say that's my experience. I know you watch a lot of the games um, from, from the comforts of your couch. Um, the, the guys on defense say that they can get better, despite all those numbers I said. Um, and we, I kind of saw that a little bit last week, too. I mean, uh, there were some breakdowns in coverage that led to some open receivers. Uh, Wisconsin got away with one when uh, a player dropped a 57-yard touchdown pass that would have been wide open that pretty much would have been the final nail in the coffin. Uh, when, when you watch them uh, live, where can this group get better? Where can this defense continue to improve in your eyes? Well, you know, I mean, anytime you're creating turnovers – you know, that's a great positive thing. So you can never have enough of those. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're creating as many turnovers as possible, that's a great thing. So there's always, always room. You could be forcing six turnovers a game, but <laughs> you would want seven or eight. So no, regardless of that. So, I mean, anytime you can, can make those big plays, I mean, those are big momentum shifts. You're, you're still in possession from them. You're giving yourself an extra possession. You know, those things are big. So, and then, you know, obviously at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if any team is scoring more than zero points, <laughs> there's room for improvement, right? So, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so as a defensive guy, you know, unless you're pitching shutouts, you know, you're not happy and you're not content. So, um, you know, I'd definitely, I'd definitely say create turnovers and limit as many points as possible. Those are the best ways to continue to get better and, and to, you know, give your team the best chance to win as a defensive player. You were a part of two pretty special rivalries, um, different in their own sense to Wisconsin-Minnesota, a series that you guys controlled during your tenure and a series that Wisconsin pretty much has controlled over the last 20 years. And then the Iowa rivalry was a little bit different. Um, you were a part of three of them. One, you sat out and they won, and then the two you played in, um, Iowa got the better of you. But this, this series has really gone back and forth. It's known for their physicality, pretty much more so than the Wisconsin-Minnesota one. What was the mood like around the program when Iowa Week hit compared to some of the other uh, opponents that you prepped for during your three years there? You know, we, we, we just knew it was going to be a team that was built exactly like us. We knew it was just going to be a brawl. It was going to be physical. You know, everybody was going to have to be, um, you know, their X's and O's in terms of their, you know, their individual responsibilities uh, within the play calls because, you know, each team knows how to execute, they know what to do, and they don't make mental mistakes, uh, very rarely. And the team that does, typically a big play happens or something happens, or quite frankly, those are the things that decide the game. And so we knew going into those games with Iowa that it was going to be a physical game with a talented team that was always very, very smart, and guys were very, very uh, high football IQ guys, similar to our team. And so... We knew we were going to mirror each other in a lot of ways, and it was always going to be, you know, who's going to do right longer and who's going to be able to withstand the blows the longest to be able to prevail. And that's typically how the rivalry went every time that we played them, and, and still to this day it's the same way. I mean, the two teams that are built very similar playing against each other, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool thing, though. What, stu- what stood out about, about playing in Kinnick? I think it's one of the best... Uh, stadiums in the Big Ten, just because the fans are right on top of you. It's got yep. this old-school flair to it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you you sit down on the bench to go over calls, and you look behind you, and you have guys in their yellow and black jumpers, you know, shouting not-so-nice things at you. What do you remember from sitting on the sideline there <laughs> at, at, at Kinnick? Oh, for, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, you're sitting on those benches there, and those guys are right on you, and they're yelling and going crazy, and 
And I mean, let's be serious, man. There's not a whole lot going on in Iowa. So on football, <laughs> uh, 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 football game day, I mean, <laughs> everyone's living for this all year long, man, to have their fun. So, boy, you hear everything in the book. And, and uh, you know, it is cool because they're, they're right on you. Uh, it's a great loyal fan base. You know, similar to Wisconsin, you got, you know, the, the university that's the big dog uh, in the state. And you know everybody loves them, and everybody grew up watching the team, and so that's the that's the really really cool thing about it. Um, but you're right, it is. It's got an old school feel, but you know it's a nice stadium that fits a lot of people. You know, you got the whole pink locker room thing, and you know all that other kind of stuff to it. But you know, it's just a, it's just it's a, it's, a, it's it is a difficult place to play. It kind of kind of lulls you, not lulls you to sleep, but it just kind of puts you in a weird. You know, it disarms you. That's the best way I think I could probably ex- explain it. You know, you're, you're disarmed in terms of, uh, you know, going in there. You know, it's, it's, it's you against everybody else, and, and you got to fight and stick together as a team. You guys lost their uh, 38-16 in 2008. Do you know that Wisconsin right. has not lost in Iowa City since you left? They've won five straight in Iowa City. Uh, I mean, we, there was only way, only way to go was up from there. I mean, <laughs> but uh, oh, man, I remember that game distinctly, man. Uh, I think it was Sean Green. Sean right? Green, yeah. Oh man, dude, yeah. Let's forget. I just re- I just remember Sean Green. Everybody's going. He was having a great year up to that year, and they were going, "Oh, this guy was uh, a mover in like three hundred and twenty five pounds last year," and the guy cut down to like two thirty five. And, dude, he was, like, the strongest guy in the world to tackle. I mean, dude, he ran through a couple of my tackles, <laughs> uh, you know, in that game to score. And I just remember thinking, goodness gracious, man, this guy was super strong. I mean, he was – and he, he went on to have, you know, some nice years in the NFL too. But, yeah, I think he yeah, played for they, the Jets, uh, didn't he? Didn't he play for the Jets? That's right. Yep, exactly. Yep. yep. And last thing I want to ask you um, about your podcast, and like I said earlier, I, I think it's a great podcast. Uh, you get a lot of really good guests that come on. Um, you've had, uh, I know your last one is, is Sam Alco, but you have, you know, you've had Carson Palmer come on. You've had uh, David Akers come on. I'm trying to think of the, some of the other ones that I've listened to. Uh, I think Jordan Matthews you had on not too long ago, beginning of November. Um, just, just yep. tell me about about this podcast and and how you and, and Nick decided to start one and and kind of what uh, what you've been trying to do with it. Yeah, you know, Nick's been a good buddy for a long time, and you know, one day he called me actually when COVID kind of hit, and he said, "Dude, I'm, I got a couple things that I've kind of been, you know, kind of feeling strong about." And he said, "You know, I'm starting a foundation and starting a podcast." And Nick and I, we'd have really good conversations, and you know, during the season or off season, we'd just be talking life or you know things that's going on, you know, individually between us and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, you know, he he'd be like, "Man, you know what? We have such good conversations, and we're kind of living in a world where everybody's just posting on Instagram and Twitter and making things look a certain way and this, that, and the next thing." And he said, "You know, he said, you know, we have real conversations here. We just get down to the real stuff and." And we'd love it if people could kind of hear a little bit of snapshots of, of what it is and maybe some of the other people that we talked to. And we thought, man, you know what? Why don't we just start a, a podcast called Mission of Truth? You know, let, let's find, you know, let, let's put a podcast and just make it a mission for truth, you know. And, and you know, it's, you know in, a, in, a, in a world that's gray, you know, we could be black and white, you know, and, and really, you know, give people some substance. And... That's really what we did, and it's been great. We had Frank Reich on, head coach of the Colts, Tony mm-hmm. Dungy, and a lot of those other guys. And, you know, just sitting down and just hearing people's stories, it's amazing the stories if you really start talking to people about things that have happened in their lives or the stuff that they've had to work through from the trials to the triumphs and, you know, all the things in between. I mean, so often in our culture, we just see the highlight type things. Uh, but, man, when you really start peeling back the layers, you see all the steps that it took to get to those things and uh you know just really really cool to see and to hear and and uh it's been really fun to do and 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 been great to do it with them with like i said it's a great podcast after you're done listening to the badgerblitz.com podcast get to the mission of truth podcast you can follow them on twitter at m o o f t underscore podcasts um it chris does a great job and 
Chris, it's always good talking to you, my friend. Thanks for the insight. I'm glad you're well, um, and you still owe me uh, a couple of checks for all those uh, inspirational speeches I gave you to help you win your first Super Bowl. <laughs> That's right. Well, Benjamin, man, it's always good to see you and, uh, and talk with you. Uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll see you soon, and uh, don't worry, man. Those, those checks will be in the mail for sure. See now, this is this this is on on record now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let the, I'm gonna let our fan base know when when those checks come in. There it is. Perfect. Always good to talk to Mr. Maragos, who uh, I'm I tell him to his face, but I'm gonna tell you he's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever come across. Uh, great insight from the former Badgers safety, especially that Jim Laird story. I knew that those two were close, but the, how deep that that relationship goes. Uh, very cool story from, from Chris Marigos. My thanks to him for, for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter, too, at Chris Marigos. Pretty easy, M-A-R-A-G-O-S. Wrapping up here on the program today on the podcast, uh, and I forgot to mention this last week, shame on me, uh, but the Badgers may have added the final piece to its 2021 recruiting class earlier this month in Rosemount, Minnesota, outside linebacker Jank Ratzlaff. Uh, a three-star prospect, uh, Jake chose UW over other scholarship offers from Iowa and Iowa State in football. He had been committed to play hockey at the University of Minnesota since seventh grade. He played for the Green Bay Gamblers in the USHL and even entered his name into the 2020 NHL draft. But when he was not selected, it kind of convinced him that football was the path forward. And Wisconsin always kind of been there uh, at the forefront for a long period of time, and then he made the commitment here earlier this month. Uh, during a shortened 2020 season, Jake recorded 70 tackles, three sacks, three picks, two fumble recoveries, and scored two defensive touchdowns. He did all that in just six games. Also played tight end for his school, 10 receptions, 208 yards, and three touchdowns. But he's going to be an inside linebacker, excuse me, he's going to be an outside linebacker that can potentially move to inside linebacker. And Jake is the fourth outside linebacker in this 2021 recruiting class. He joins T.J. Bowlers from Iowa, Io Adibogan from Mequon, and Daryl Peterson from Akron, Ohio. And the addition of Ratzlaff puts Wisconsin at number 14 in the Rivals.com recruiting rankings, which would easily be the highest in modern program history. They will sign here coming up in just a, you know, just less than two weeks is National Signing Day. And that is some good news to end today's show with. For all the latest on Wisconsin football, basketball, and recruiting, log on to badgerblitz.com. Follow me on Twitter at the Badger Nation and follow our website on Twitter at Badger underscore Blitz. Plenty of coverage this weekend from Wisconsin, Iowa. We will keep you up to date with all the latest on Wisconsin football and anything that breaks in recruiting. You can find us at badgerblitz.com. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to our podcast. We've had some great listenership over 2020. Makes me feel good that I can bring a little bit of Wisconsin football into your homes, into your cars uh, during this really weird time. We'll be back with you next week. We'll recap uh, the games that were played, and we'll preview Wisconsin football's next opponent. We think they're going to play next weekend against somebody, but we just don't know who, where, when, or maybe even why. But we will be there to talk with you about it here on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.